welcome to Forests, Folklore, and Fantasy. My name is Kelly Rice, but I write and publish under my initials, K.M. Rice. I would like to talk with you today about the winter time in general for those of us who experience it as a temperature shift or a temperature extreme and about the concept of wintering and the many layers of understanding and nourishment that we can get from delving into these ideas and allowing ourselves to flow with the seasons. Before we begin, I would like to open with a very brief, so brief (laughs) that I don't know if I can properly call it a poem, but a few lines that I wrote on this subject. When the heart is tired from lifting heavy things, and the tongue is leaden, for words go unheard, and all the doubts come whispering. That is a time for wintering. The first time that I can recall being exposed to wintering as a verb was when I heard of a book by Catherine May, and its title is Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. And I highly recommend it to anyone who has not read it yet. It's not a tough read. It's not a long read. It's very accessible and deals with some very universal and yet personal matters of the heart and the body and the mind and the psyche. And as her title suggests, she is viewing wintering as a metaphor, using the the season as more of a metaphor than the actual encompassing season. But today, I would like to talk about it as both. I used to be ambivalent toward the winter, other than my very apparent love of Christmas time. But I was also around and exposed to people for whom the winter was really difficult. And my mother was one of those people who really dreaded a lot of the different aspects of winter. And she dipped her toe into a process of reframing the season and set that example for me, even though I can't recall a time where I really felt like I needed reframing, possibly because I live in Northern California. Snow is very rare. We do get winter storms. Last year was very difficult for a lot of people here in our mountains due to debris flows and landslides and a lot of flooding both coastal and rivers because we got a lot of rain and a lot of high wind. This year so far, it has 
shaped out to be a bit more mild and we still have days with the sun. And I think that access to the sun and to the break in the cold has always helped me engage with winter in a different way so that it didn't feel like this insurmountable or suffocating obstacle to just get through or overcome. In fact, I'm at a point in my life now where I really look forward to winter, in particular January, where so much is still and there is so little expected of me. There is very little expected of any form of life by the natural world because the days are so brief and it is so cold. It's not really a time for growing. It's a time for going inward and it's a time for resting and replenishing. It's also a time where we have the longest nights of the year. And I so look forward to and crave and welcome the darkness and all the gifts that it brings. So I would like to talk about our relationship with darkness. I am especially trying to reach people who want to repair their relationship with winter, who perhaps live in a climate far more challenging than mine and do feel the strain of the struggle. Or perhaps people who, to, for lack of a better expression, are afraid of the dark or don't feel that they can connect to the absence of light. Um, I'm going to offer some observations to not necessarily challenge how you feel, but to just to just paint a, a picture of a different perspective in case it helps inform your perspective and helps you adapt and find peace and comfort in this time of year. Is it fear of the unknown or fear of the unknowable that makes so many of us fight against the literal darkness? We are created in darkness. There is no light in a womb. What we know of our entire universe began in the darkness. It is not only the womb that gives life in the darkness, but also the earth. If you were to plant a seed, you would bury it in the lightlessness of the soil. That seed will germinate and start sending out its roots in the darkness before it reaches for the light. 
the earliest known human habitations were caves. Caves get pretty dark. And what's incredible is in caves, especially in France, we see evidence of that human spark, that human need to, to create something bigger than ourselves in forms, a form of art dating back to at least 40,000 years. So, again, returning to this concept of womb-like darkness being fertile, being generative, helping us to find our voices. This idea of darkness being a generative or creative medium is actually backed by neuroscience. In fact, when I first was exposed to, I'll call it the mechanics of how our brains process and construct reality, no pun intended, but my mind was blown. It makes me a little claustrophobic to think of reality this way. But... Our brains and our minds actually exist in total darkness. Our eyes process the wavelengths of light, and I could be getting the science wrong here, and that light is reflected into our eyes and received as a message that our brain then constructs into an image. The same thing happens with sound. So the concept that we're actually moving through this dark void, this soundless void, and just have evolved to have organs that can process these different wavelengths and vibrations to create a construct of reality around us is a very difficult concept for me personally to grasp. It's as if our mind or the organ of our brain is in a perpetual womb. And no one can say with any certainty if our ancestors understood this, if there was any link between the darkness of the cave and Big Bang and this construct of reality that our brains create for us and honoring darkness I think it's a little dangerous to retrospectively take concepts that we now know through things like neuroscience and and attribute them to to peoples who came before us. Sometimes we find out that they were onto something. Other times I think there's this urge to assign this wealth of wisdom to those who came before that as if they somehow had all the answers that we're seeking. And um, that's just not always the case. Those people were just like you, and they probably also were looking to whoever came before and wondering if they had the answers as well. It admittedly is a bit unnerving to me to think about my mind essentially being a virtual reality machine, even though I know that's not accurate. Virtual reality computers were created by humans. They mimic 
our minds. They mimic our brains. They mimic us because we were their creators, not the opposite. But in lieu of something else to use as a metaphor to contextualize it, to say our minds are like constructing a, a virtual reality they're they're constructing reality based on this information that when you break it down is not what we perceive and as i just mentioned there, there's something deeply unnerving to me about that but i also go back to how i opened this conversation about darkness with not necessarily the poem i wrote but the words that I wrote, is it fear of the unknown or fear of the unknowable? And that I find very empowering. And the idea that darkness is potentially the natural state of things is somewhat comforting. So I know this got somewhat esoteric and got a little maybe metaphysical or mind-bending in nature, um, but I just wanted to offer these perspectives to help you look at darkness from as many different angles as you can right now just to see how it broadens or deepens your connection and understanding to darkness and see if it takes away some of its potential stigma. And one could argue that it is equally important to examine our drive to brighten the dark and to bring light to spaces. We know that these ancestral peoples, these early humans had fire and they were using that for various reasons that we'll touch on in a moment, but suffice it to say that light is life. The sun nourishes leaf and needle and blade. Whether or not we eat those light takers, those plants themselves, if we are not eating them to keep ourselves alive, then the animals we were hunting or raising were eating them. And our ancestors understood this connection. And in so many ways, fire is the sun's presence on earth. Fire is a giver and taker of life. It is a source of warmth and a provider of sustenance. If we didn't have fire, we would not have been able to eat some of the foods that we now take for granted by cooking them. We certainly would not have been able to progress with some of the tools that we were making in the very early days of our time on this planet by hardening them in the flames. Somewhere in my mind is this innate concept, dare I say, instinct that we evolved with fire, that, that humans and fire cannot truly be separated. And there are a great deal of myths across cultures that speak to this. Of course, one of the most predominant myths being that of Prometheus from the ancient Greeks, 
who was punished by the gods for gifting fire to humankind. But I challenge anyone to sit beside a campfire or even a fire in an open hearth and not be soothed by the crackle and the snap of the chemical process of the heat digging into the wood of watching the flames it's incredibly hypnotizing and sitting beside a fire you often don't need any other source of input than watching the flames in fact I opened my Wheel of the Year video, which you can check out on YouTube, with footage I took of one of our campfires when my family was camping in the Sierra Nevada mountains a few years ago. It's slow motion footage. And the flames are even more entrancing and seem so alive. So if you haven't seen that video, I encourage you to at least check out the beginning so that you can see what I'm talking about. But there is a reason that hearths and fireplaces are one of the most requested elements of a house that homeowners are looking for. And that since I believe it was the 1960s, this concept of having a broadcast, or now you can just go onto YouTube or um, Netflix or something and watch video footage of a Yule log or uh, a fire during the holidays because a lot of people don't have access to actual fires um, in a safe way or just don't even have any form of fireplace or hearth in their apartment or their living space. And so these provide a substitute that reaches us somewhere very deep in our core and we just find soothing. It's funny because I didn't make this connection when I was jotting down notes of how I wanted to talk about the subject for this episode, but I just made the connection that part of my draw toward the winter season is because our home has a beautiful river rock fireplace and we have fires every night that it's cold enough to have them. I love to sit beside the fire. I love to listen to the fire. I've got very long hair and it is amazing to be able to wash my hair on a cold night and sit beside the fire and let the fire dry my hair. It is the source of light and warmth and vitality in our home and thankfully our house is constructed in such a way that the, that it is the focal point. And in more modern houses, they may sometimes make the, the television set, the, listen to me, I sound like a grandmother, the television set, the focal point. But fireplaces traditionally are, and that's because we may not use them anymore for cooking, but they're still the heart of our homes. I'm 
I was going to say appropriating a line, but I don't know if I can really be appropriating a line if I wrote it. From my novel Darkling, where the main character, Willow, who tells the story, mentions that the hearth is the heart of the home. And I wrote it that way because that's how I feel. That's how my childhood home has always been. And I think that there's something very intrinsic to the human experience of wanting to be in a dwelling with fire for all sorts of different reasons. But of course, especially in the winter when you are battling the cold and the chill, even with all of our modern conveniences, nothing really beats being able to get warm by the fire. This is also the best time of year to light candles. And if you're not lighting real candles, there's some really beautiful LED candles available now where you don't have to worry about the mess of the melted wax or the fire danger. And you you can, of course, have candles other times of year, but with the dark setting in so early, you can enjoy them and appreciate them in more of your wakeful hours than you can other times of the year. And they add such a soothing ambiance to the room. And there is some research that the light from a candle flame is so much easier on our eyes and of course helps us maintain our circadian rhythm. Um, there's that whole idea of the blue light that we receive from our electronic devices. Here I am being a gram again, those electronic devices that disrupts our circadian rhythm that throws us off, that uh, being exposed to that blue light, which would normally really only be something we felt in the daytime, throwing off the cycles of our, of our, the sleep cycles of our bodies. So surrounding yourself with candlelight and firelight in the winter is another one of the luxuries of the darkness and of the season. To return to the theme of the darkness, of course, there's a very observable impact that the darkness has, and that is that on clear nights, we have more time to view the stars and the planets and the Milky Way, which are all sources of awe and wonder. But it is in the dark that we can truly sit with ourselves and get to know ourselves with very few distractions. There is something about the enveloping nature of the darkness, or even the dark beside a fire, that nourishes introspection and inner growth and understanding and facilitates the peace that we all crave. 
the darkness brings a lack of input. It brings quiet. It brings rest. It brings the cold. All things that help us insulate our beings in many ways and help facilitate those moments of sitting with ourselves and deepening our understanding of ourselves and the world around us. Our society and modernity have done a lot to make this ability to connect with the dark difficult. We have light pollution from street lamps, house lights, headlights. There is research that this 24-7, or at least nighttime hours of artificial lighting is detrimental to trees. I was just reading some tips on growing chrysanthemums today, and it was talking about how if you have them in a pot on your porch and you have a porch light on in the night, it may delay or reduce their flowering. And of course, this nighttime artificial lighting is very dangerous for insects who in a world without artificial lighting would never have encountered it and wouldn't be hurling themselves at light bulbs on porches. While these insects and plants and trees may not be stimulated by artificial light in the same way that they would be by the UV and the light emitted by the rays of the sun, it is still disruptive and disturbing enough to affect their health because all living beings need rest. And we are no different. I can't help but feel that the plethora of artificial lighting and light pollution in our world is stealing something from us. And the more cynical part of my mind points to the economy, to, to how global economies are using artificial lighting for many good reasons, right? To try to not have as much crime and to illuminate the sidewalk so people can feel safe to go out at night. But the, there's a give and take to everything. And in a lot of ways, this artificial lighting is doing to us what it's doing to the plants and the insects of the natural world. It is trying to force us to go against our nature. It might be completely dark out and your urge is to go home. And yet you're there at the office under the artificial lighting able to continue your work. Whereas two, three hundred years ago, you would have been burning a lot of resources to create enough light to use to continue to work. 
allowing ourselves to feel the cycle of the light and the dark without artificial lighting is allowing ourselves to feel our connection to the rotation of the earth as the animals that we are. I invite you to explore and indeed to deepen your connection with the dark. Sit with it. Relish it. Trust me, it will be gone all too soon. Darkness brings rest. On a physical level, on a philosophical level, and on a spiritual level. I am recording this in January and have to confess that it was somewhat against my nature to be productive at this time. I was one of those people who, during the shutdowns of 2020, had the luxury of being able to disengage from the hustle and bustle of the world that I didn't even realize I had consented to participate in. And in that slowing down, in that insular time, I was able to feel how my body responded to not only the seasons, but the changing light, which in many ways go hand in hand. And that was a gift for which I am forever thankful. Is As I said at the opening of this episode, I now look forward to January. I look forward to wintering. I look forward to the rest and restoration that I know it will bring me if I let it. So it may outwardly feel like I'm not doing that because here I am being productive. And as I said, it, it, it took a while. It took a while to get myself back into this mindset, but it doesn't feel like I am fighting against the season. I am sitting cross-legged on my bed beside my dog who's sleeping cozy and warm, watching the morning doves flying about and the juncos in the tree outside my window. So it is very much a cozy affair. I don't feel like I'm a flower being forced to bloom in the winter. And just my awareness of that has been such an incredible and powerful means of introspection and has really deepened my understanding of my own body and what I need. And that's why I encourage you to do the same, to connect with the dark and to connect to the winter by allowing yourself to slow down when you want to slow down. Now is the time for taking life slowly for eating stews and soups and sitting beside the hearth. It is a time of indulging in the warm, sensual comforts that come with hibernation. There's no need to rush anything. And don't push or chastise yourself 
if your energy levels and productivity have slowed. This is as natural as the rhythms of the earth. Rest. Replenish. Heal. Sleep. Always seek joy and remind yourself of the pleasure in the little things that help see us through the most challenging season of all. This slowdown is natural. Fighting against it isn't. So embrace it. The darkness is your right. Rest is your right. Winter is a gift. In the spirit of honoring the darkness and the winter, I invite you to not only take the rest of the winter as a time of rest and replenishment, but also to nurture your creativity in whatever form that takes to make fertile the soil of your mind and your soul so that as the days start to grow longer, as the birds begin to sing, as the bees begin to hum and we move into spring, you will find yourself very slowly getting ready to take those first steps, be it on a creative project or making travel plans or starting a new relationship, whatever it is. Allow yourself this period of time to just sit with it and mull it over and move at the pace of nature without feeling this pressure to make decisions. Immediately, our society has swung so far into the direction of immediate gratification and glorifying the hustle and short, very short attention spans that sometimes, at least if you're anything like me, it's helpful to have, I'll call it permission or an invitation from someone else to validate your desire to slow down. And if you haven't felt that desire within you yet, take a few deep breaths and see what's inside. Sitting with the darkness can be incredibly healing. Embracing the cold is such a vital reminder of your aliveness. And there is something so incredibly therapeutic and liberating about speaking words into the dark, about sowing your thoughts and your dreams into the fertile darkness. And also, 
casting your anxieties and your traumas and everything that you want to purge yourself from into this abyss because the abyss, she can take it. The universe is beyond any expanse our minds can comprehend and it is by and large all darkness so i haven't hit that point home yet it's there for you the darkness is there to support you it's okay to lean into it Thank you so much, dear listener, for giving me some of your time. I hope that you have found something in this episode that connected with you and that my words and sentiments and concepts landed where they were meant to land. If you feel moved to do so, please do give me a follow. It really helps. And also, if you felt like you connected with what I had to say about allowing yourself to move with the seasons. And if you feel a curiosity to know how our indigenous European ancestors marked the end of winter and the coming of spring, then I encourage you to visit my website. I have an offering there that is uh, an auditory lecture. Uh, and an immersive experience on educating people on the history and folklore of the holiday known as Imbolc, marking the midway point between the winter solstice and the spring or vernal equinox. It's known as the first stirrings of spring and the promise of new life being about to burst onto the scene. So... I do encourage you to check that out. I also wanted to share that the beautiful music you have heard throughout this episode um, are have all been excerpts from composer Lane Thomas from his beautiful fantasy-inspired album, The Lands Beyond. And I will put the link to the album and to the other offerings that I mentioned in the show notes. So thank you again so very much for listening. And until we meet once more, may your hearth be warm and your heart be full. Mm-hmm.